ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Hello, I'm Tom Gilson. Today on ID the Future, British biomechanical engineer Stuart Burgess continues taking apart an evolutionist, very bad anti design argument by showing how extraordinarily well human joints are put together. Burgess has won multiple awards for his work in mechanical engineering, including transmissions used on bicycles used by Olympic gold medal winning British bicycle teams and robotic mechanisms for Europe's Envisat environmental monitoring satellite. We join him here in the second part of the talk as he's wrapping up his comments on the superb design of the human ankle. Next, he'll turn to the multifunctional design excellence of the human wrist, and then he has some special schooling to give a biologist who let his evolutionary philosophy take him to places no actual science would ever go. This talk comes from the 2022 Westminster Conference on Science and Faith. Now I want to answer claims of bad design in the ankle joint because I've read Nathan Lent's book and I've extracted a few quotations. The first one is the one I already showed. The ankle contains seven bones, most of them pointless. Well, why does he say that? Evolutionary philosophy predicts bad design. Because it predicts bad design, he can assume the ankle is badly designed. Because he assumes the ankle is badly designed, therefore the bones are pointless. Do you see the logic? Assumption, assumption, assumption. Just ignore biomechanics research. But as I've shown, all seven bones have multiple functions. Just to clarify this point, I've written a table. On the left are the, the seven bones of the ankle, and I've got four columns for the various uh, functions. I've actually combined two of the arches in the first column. So the five small bones have 16 functions. And Nathan Lentz is unaware of any of those. Uh, he's, just, uh, he's just saying that. So Lentz claims the ankle would function better as a fused structure. You know, proclaiming this incredible, it's an amazing statement. It would be better as a fused structure, like the one on the right. Well, as I've shown, I, the whole thing functions and has these intricate design features. Let me just give you some references. The internal ankle joints are extremely important for pronation. That's just one function. This is, a, this is a, a basic fact of biomechanics. Walking on rough ground is difficult after a fusion. Most people cannot play vigorous sports like squash after a fusion. I'm, I'm a squash player myself, so I need my ankle to work. I, please, don't do, please don't fuse my ankle joint. Once a joint has been fused, joints above and below take on more strain. If you fuse your ankle joint, sometimes you have to if you have some arthritis, but then you're warned you could have problems with other joints. So Nathan Lentz is unaware of these basic facts of biomechanics. Very dangerous to start making these sweeping conclusions. So Nathan Lentz says, no reason to have the fibula in the lower leg. What's the point of that? I can't see any point in the fibula, the lower leg. But as I explained, it's like the car steering system uh, giving stability to an ankle. Imagine someone coming up to your car and saying, oh, 
can't see any point having a steering system in your car. Just get rid of those. Can I take them out for you? Well, no, please don't take out the, uh, please don't take out the steering system of my car. I'd rather have them in there. I think the designer had a purpose for those. Um, and here's a scientific reference. The whole fibula is essential for the stability of the ankle joint. There are loads of papers saying sometimes a surgeon will take a piece of bone from the fibula if you need a transplant. And I think maybe this paper was explaining you can only take a little bit of the fibula if you take too much. It ruins the stability of the whole uh, ankle. The ankle can do nothing but malfunction. Well, it's another throwaway statement. Yeah, can't do anything but malfunction. But as I explained at the beginning of the talk, a healthy ankle joint properly used will rarely malfunction. And I have a nice reference. The scientific researchers were really interested in this, this myth that joints like the ankle can do nothing but malfunction. They did a huge study, and the conclusion was, for example, with running, running is rarely associated with ankle sprain. Rarely associated with ankle sprain. What sprains your ankle is when you do silly things like play American football or <laughs> do ridiculous sports. It's remarkable that if you are sensible with your joints, they don't sprain. And it's a scientific fact. It's, it's important to differentiate between fact and fiction. We tend to focus on things uh, that are negative. I can give you a personal example. I'm a, I'm a very keen sports person. In the last 40 years, I've averaged running five or six miles a day. I do a lot of marathon running. I do a lot of squash playing. I still do a bit of skateboarding. I've never had a problem with my ankles. I'm now 58. I've looked after my ankles. I've been very careful. It is actually remarkable how robust human skeletal joints are. Of course, it's very sad when someone has arthritis or some other disease. And yeah, if you're not careful, we feel sorry for you, but it was your silly fault. Uh, if you overloaded your, your joint. Imagine <laughs> this car driver says, this car does nothing but malfunction, <laughs> right? How much sympathy are you going to give to the driver of the car? Well, I feel really sorry for you. What a terrible car this is. Uh, he, he says, well, the suspension keeps going. You know, who designed this car? It's not the designer's fault. It is the car driver's fault. And that is actually, scientific studies show that that's what does a problem for joints. Well, that was the ankle joint and the wrist joint, I can promise you, is just as enlightening as the ankle joint. And this time I have a quote from Isaac Newton. The reason I've included this is because one of the things that makes the thumb very special is the way it joins with the wrist. At the joint with the wrist, there's a special saddle joint, and it's one of the keys to the incredible flexibility of the thumb. Hence, this is legitimate to include for the wrist joint. So, as before, one of these people is correct and one of them is catastrophically wrong. Either we're going to put our faith in Isaac Newton or we're going to put our faith in uh, Nathan Lentz. And I'm going to explain which one you should put your faith in. So the wrist joint. Yes, it's another complicated joint, but complication doesn't mean bad design. Sometimes complexity 
means ingenious design. And that's what I'm going to explain with the wrist. Every bone has a purpose. There are eight bones. They all have names. You don't need to remember them. Uh, just remember there's two rows. There's a row of four at the top and a row of four at the bottom. On the bottom, uh, there are four there. One of them is on top of the other. The pisiform is on top of the traquitrum. So on the top, the hamate, capitate, trapezoid, trapezium. And on the bottom, pisiform, traquitrum, lunate, and scaphoid. But just remember, two rows, top row of four, bottom row of four. Eight bones with precise functions. Uh, this was the, with this one, if you remember, Nathan Lent said this is eight bones like a useless pile of rocks. Well, I'm going to show you they are not a useless pile of rocks. There is precision engineering in the wrist joint. So like with the ankle, we have this multifunctioning wrist joint. Function one, flexion uh, for going up and down. Function, function two, abduction. Very important if you're a table tennis player, but actually important for lots of things. Then strength uh, function, a lot of load goes through a small joint. Then there's a carpal tunnel function. You might know that the wrist forms this arch, a protective arch, to allow tendons, blood vessels to safely go through that arch in your hand. And then a rotation uh, function. And like the ankle joint, an engineer is so impressed with that incredible functionality in a small place and great performance in terms of efficiency, uh, compactness and endurance. No engineer has built a prosthetic wrist joint with that kind of functionality. As I said with the ankle, there's got to be something clever to do all those things and there are very clever things. So one ingenious design, again, three integrated arches, just like the foot, three integrated arches. Two of the arches are shown here. The, the, red, the row of four red bones make an arch. In the other direction, the four green bones make a complementary arch that snugly fits. So you have two arches. Incredibly, with the, with, with the wrist, you have an arch in the transverse direction. This is the carpal arch. Notice that the carpal arch is made of the four red bones, the top arch. And it also includes two of the green bones, the pisiform and the triquitrum. Uh, if you look carefully, we can see on the blue in that middle diagram. Very, very clever to have two arches in the plane of the hand and then to build an arch in the transverse, perpendicular direction using the same bones. That is so, so clever. I've never seen an engineer do that kind of thing before, so three integrated arches, very strong. All eight bones needed for those three arches. But then we have a number of ingenious design features. One is a biaxial joint. Now what I mean by that is the hand can not only abduct and adduct, but it can extend and flex uh, as well. And it does that because the joint goes in two directions. That's a very difficult thing uh, to do. Engineers can do it, but it's a really difficult thing to do. But then there are other ingenious features on top of that. If we first of all look at the first uh, function, the flexion extension function, what we notice here is a double joint. So it's 
the wrist is not only a biaxial joint, it's a biaxial double, double joint, because in both abduction and flexion, there's a double joint. Uh, so a lot of joints in the wrist that work so smoothly together. By having two joints, the mid-carpal and the radiocarpal joint, it gives extra movement. That's why our wrists are so flexible and supple, because we get this double joint. But on top of that, there is one incredible ingenious design feature, and that is the radius of those two joints are fine-tuned to be a unique solution that gives a common center of rotation. There's only one ratio of the radius of the radiocarpal joint to the radius of the midcarpal joint. There's only one unique ratio that will give a common center of rotation shown by those two circles on the, on the right. It takes a bit of uh, thinking about, but there is only one unique ratio that gives a common center. That is why our wrists move so smoothly because you have this one center of rotation. You think there's only one joint in the wrist, but there's actually two, but they're so finely tuned with that precision engineering of every small bone. It works like a single joint. And incredibly, the same thing happens in abduction. You have the radius of those two joints in the perpendicular direction. You also have the one unique ratio of the radius of one joint to the radius of the other joint being so finely tuned, it gives you a common center of rotation shown by the black and white uh, circle on the right-hand side. So when you start to look into the details of these bones, you see this precision engineering. One of the projects I've been working on in the last 10 years are atomic force microscopes. I've designed the positioning stage to move samples. The resolution of that had to be nanometers, and it was a lot of head scratching to design uh, this system, finely tuned to get the position moving correctly. And I published papers in journals called Precision Engineering. And I can really appreciate this level of precision design and engineering in the wrist joint. It is just majestic if you just look at the details of it. Then we come to the strength function, and this is where it gets really clever. The same design solution, the same arches are used to solve a completely different function. That's the sign of a very clever designer. They're using the same solution to be multifunctioning. And so here we have the perfect layout of bones to transmit force for strength. It's ideal. Uh, the thumb is shown by the yellow uh, digits. You have one wrist bone under the thumb, one under the index finger, one under the middle finger, then one under the two smaller fingers that don't transmit so much load. And it's ideal to have a separate bone under those digits because a single bone transmits compression loads more efficiently. That top row is the perfect structural layout of bones, as well as doing all the other functions. Then the bottom row also gives you an ideal load path all the way through the radius. This is just another dimension that Nathan Lentz is oblivious as to what's going on. He's just said, just a useless pile of rocks. Then we come to function four, the carpal tunnel. 
As I said before, arches are stronger when they are made of individual bones, like an, a Roman arch. And the wrist is remarkably strong when you think how small it is and how big loads humans can lift. Is it a remarkable structure? So as well as being a joint and flexible and strong, the designer just, well, I'll just make a tunnel to protect the tendons and the blood vessels and the nerves. Uh, so a wonderful fourth uh, function. And then we come to another four-bar linkage, just like the four-bar linkage in the lower leg. In recent years, engineers have produced scientific papers showing how the lower arm is like a four-bar linkage system, like a car steering system, wonderfully designed. Uh, when you turn your wrist, your, your bones flip over each other at the end. They stay the same at the elbow, but at the wrist joint, they flip over. And it's basically like a four-bar mechanism. And again, Nathan Lent says there's no reason to have the ulna in the lower arm. He hasn't done any reading, just... I can't see a reason for that. No reason for that. And he's unaware of the scientific li literature. It's essential to have the ulna to give stability to the wrist to work that four-bar system. So why is the wrist a masterpiece of design? It has this ingenious triple-arched structure, ingenious biaxial double joints, and every bone performs specific functions. Well, let's answer the claims of bad design in the wrist joint. And again, I've made a note of what Nathan Lent says in his book. So let's go through. Well, the first thing he says, wrist bones are the most obnoxious example of bones for which we have no use. He's just decided. He's telling the world no use for wrist bones. Well, I've explained. They have multiple critical functions. Well, here's my table. There's eight wrist bones and there's 26 sub-functions. And Nathan Lent says, it's a ob most obnoxious example of, we have no use for those bones. Well, he needs to study biomechanics. The wrist is way more complicated than it needs to be. Well, there are very good reasons for the complexity. It does some incredible things. Imagine a little boy goes to a museum, and in the museum, there is a Trent engine, a Rolls, I think this is a Rolls-Royce Trent engine, and this jet engine has hundreds of precision-engineered components, and the little boy is privileged to be with the designer of the jet engine, and the little boy says to the designer, sir, the parts of this engine are like a pile of useless rocks, the engine is way more complicated than it needs to be. Well, maybe the designer would say, well, there are actually very good reasons for the complexity. Every part actually has important functions. You need to study engineering a little bit, I think, to the little boy. That is exactly what Nathan Lentz does. He looks at the complexity of the ankle. He looks at the complexity of the wrist. And instead of reading a book about those things, he just declares it's more complicated than it needs to be. Well, Nathan Lentz also talks about engineering. Now, this is where it gets really, really, really interesting because he hasn't studied engineering, hasn't designed anything. But, you see, evolutionary philosophy it seems to give people this license just to proclaim anything about anything. So he says, no robot arm will ever be designed to imitate the double bones in the lower arm. Now, now when I read that, I thought, 
but, but hang on, he's not qualified to start talking about engineering. Not qualified to talk about biomechanics, but engineering. So he makes this decree. No robot will ever be designed to imitate that. Last June, there was a very important review paper in the Institute of Physics. It was a review paper on biomechanics. So it was reviewing the state of the art of biomechanics based on hundreds of other research papers. And the, the title of that paper was A Review of Linkage Mechanisms in Animal Joints and Related Bioinspired Designs. Institute of Physics, UK. Uh, it's one of the top journals. And the conclusion of that paper was, to advance robotics, engineers need to copy four biolinkages found in animals and humans, which is the complete opposite of what Nathan Lent said. What he said will never be done is what the paper said should be done to advance engineering. Now, you might say, how do I know that was the conclusion? Well, not only did I read the paper, but I wrote the paper. I was the author of that <laughs> paper. So the next thing Nathan Lent says about engineering is no engineer would design an ankle joint with so many parts. So having assumed the ankle is a really terrible design, he then assumes no engineer will ever design a joint with so many parts, now proclaiming about uh, engineering. Well, I have designed robots using multiple parts just like the ankle. So what he said will never happen has already happened, already happened many times, uh, actually, but he's unaware of that. And for, for doing exactly what he said will never be done, uh, I was actually awarded the Wessex Scientific uh, Medal. So I'm glad I didn't listen to Nathan Lentz before <laughs> doing that work. Th th this is the final quote from Lentz on engineering. A modern mechanical engineer would never design a joint with such an obvious liability as the Achilles tendon. He's not qualified to, to say that, and he's wrong. The Achilles tendon is an incredible design. When you jump or run, particularly when you jump, the force in your Achilles tendon can be 10 times your body weight. It is a marvel of engineering. And if you do not overload your Achilles tendon, it does not break. It's not a liability. I've never had a problem with my Achilles tendon after running 80,000 miles in the last 40 years. There is nothing wrong with the design of the Achilles tendon. So Nathan Lentz is wrong. In fact, the spacecraft I've helped to design, particularly the solar array deployment mechanisms, they use cables exactly like the Achilles tendon. So once again, exactly what Nathan Lentz is saying, you know, would never happen, has already happened. Uh, for doing that design, I was awarded the UK Turner's Gold Medal, the Japanese Michitoya Prize, and the UK James Clayton Prize 2019. So I'm glad I wasn't listening to Nathan Lentz before doing that work, but you can see how harmful this is for students, for children in schools, for scientific research, the damage it does to true scientific knowledge, that this isn't a joke, this is really serious. Let me just summarize Lentz's errors. So Lentz has written this book, Human Errors, it should be called Lentz Errors. <laughs> um, he assumes complexity equals bad design. He doesn't bother to look at why the complexity is there. He ignores biomechanics research, he ignores engineering research. 
what this illustrates is the danger of evolutionary philosophy. Uh, it gives people a license to just ignore observational science and just make these wild speculations. Evolution predicts bad design. So, oh, we must be full of bad design. Everything must be bad, and therefore it's all wrong, and there's too many parts, and, all, and so it goes on. Lentz has a truth that he already believes is true, and then he tries to mould an explanation for it. I chose those words carefully, because that last point, if you look on his website at City University in New York, that's what exactly he says about Michael Behe. The very thing he criticises ID people, he is absolutely guilty of. And students are being harmed by this kind of evolutionary pseudoscience, and people need to be aware of that harm. Let me just, on a positive note, just a few slides to go, I do positively want to just summarise evidence for intelligent design. Ingenious solutions, you know, the triple arch structures, the linkage mechanisms, the biaxial double joints. Over the years, I've often been asked to judge engineering competitions, to review designs. The foot and the hand are the two greatest objects of design I've ever had the privilege of studying, far above any engineering design. Irreducible complexity. Every engineer knows that an arched structure with the separate bones or stones is an irreducibly complex structure. If you look at a history book, when the Romans built their arches, they always started with a wooden jig or other kind of jig. Only when the arch was finished could they take the jig away. That's called irreducible complexity. Multifunctioning, strength, flexibility, joints, balance, tunnels. It takes a genius to solve all those different functions with one solution. Fine-tuning, three-point contact, arch alignment, common centre of rotation. The hand and the feet are on the limit of what is physically possible, the limit of performance. It's the gold standard of design, ultimate performance. An absence of bad design, which hopefully I've convinced you of uh, today. So, Leonardo da Vinci was right. The ankle is a masterpiece of engineering, confirmed by modern science. Newton was right. The wrist, thumb, is a masterpiece of engineering. And Nathan Lentz is catastrophically wrong. But sadly, that is harming students and harming science. That was part two of a talk given by the highly distinguished mechanical engineer Stuart Burgess at the 2022 Westminster Conference on Science and Faith, titled Why Human Skeletal Joints Are Masterpieces of Engineering. We appreciate your interest in learning about these matters. You know, the strange thing is, if you read reviews of the Nathan Lentz book that Burgess was taking apart here, You'll find reviewers saying they expect some religious people to let their beliefs deter them from accepting its so-called truth. Well, Dr. Burgess has just shown it's completely the other way around. We're convinced the more who hear the truth, the more deceptions like these can be overturned. So please invite others to listen here the same way you do. Again, we appreciate you. 
for ID of the Future. This is Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.